Hi, and welcome to the Hormonal Mama episode two. Uh, If you tuned into my last episode, you heard me talk all about my infertility journey and how I ended up pregnant with triplets. So today, in this episode, I wanted to tell you about my pregnancy journey and how I went from the shock of a lifetime being pregnant with triplets to giving birth to my beautiful twins and the story of all the ups and downs of my pregnancy. So it was a very strange feeling seeing three little, well, blobs really on the ultrasound screen. And when the ultrasound technician said, well... There's definitely two babies in there. There may be three as well. I think my husband and I both stopped breathing for a second because even though we both suspected that there may be multiples, first off, even when you suspect it, to actually see it is a whole different experience. But to realize that we may go from being parents to none And years and years of stress and pain and sadness and anxiety to parents of three babies all at once, it's kind of a shock to your system. And it was very hard to know how to process that news. So anyway, we left the appointment. They told us, you know, come back next week and we'll see, you know, what's going on with the third baby in there. So... My reproductive endocrinologist or fertility specialist wasn't in the office that day, so I couldn't discuss this insane news with her. We had to wait until our second appointment. So week went by and we were very anxious to see, okay, what's what's going to happen here? We really need to know. Let, let's get some uh, information going. So at our second appointment, we went in and met with the ultrasound technician again and sure enough there were three babies in there uh and if i remember correctly at that appointment there were two heartbeats the third didn't have a heartbeat yet so we went in we met with the doctor and the first thing she said was well this is definitely uh unusual (laughs) she wasn't expecting it neither were we She did inform us that it's very common in a multiple pregnancy to have what is known as vanishing twin, which means that if it's twins, for example, one of the babies unfortunately doesn't make it and gets reabsorbed, which is a very strange thing to hear. It's definitely difficult to absorb, if you will, that news and know how to process that information. It's upsetting, and but also you, you don't know that that's going to happen, so just knowing that it could makes it all a little more complicated. So when we left that appointment, I had already prepared myself knowing, okay, one or two or even three of these babies might not make it, so... That, you know, I think that's hard for any woman when you see that ultrasound and, you know, regardless of going through fertility struggles, which 
in my experience, makes it that much worse. But any woman getting the news that she may lose her baby, whether it's one, two, or three of them, it's hard to process. It's it's hard to know how to process that. Do you just say, okay, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I, I don't think anyone can really do that. So every night and every morning, I put my hands on my belly and I talked to my babies who couldn't hear me yet because they didn't have ears yet. Um, and I said to them, you do what you need to do. If you can't make it, that's okay. And if you can, that's okay too. Whatever you need to do. Because that helped me to deal with the potential fallout of losing one or more of my babies. Just being able to talk to them and tell them it's okay if you can't make it. It's okay. And in the end, that really did help me because we went weekly for ultrasounds and at our nine week appointment was when we discovered that we did in fact lose one of the babies. And that was very difficult news to hear. It was very difficult to let that sink in that there was a baby there and now there wasn't. And I can't speak to what it's like to lose a baby and I, I mean, what I'm trying to say is I, I haven't had the personal experience of losing a pregnancy. I had the experience of losing one of three babies very early in a pregnancy. Anytime you lose a child, it's so hard. It doesn't matter if it's early or late or if you lose one or two or three or what. It's devastating because it's your child. It's your baby. When I went through IVF and I had a little, not embryo, a blastocyst, which is before it becomes an embryo. When I had that little living creature (laughs) implanted into my uterus, I was devastated when we found out that it didn't implant. And even though it never became a baby or a person or an embryo or fetus, it was still a child that I had created with my husband and knowing that it wasn't going to become a person was very hard. And this situation where I was actually pregnant and then lost one of the babies was a very very difficult thing to deal with knowing there were two other babies in there and they were relying on me to get through this pregnancy so that they could survive that was emotionally very very difficult for me found that the hardest part of being pregnant and after dealing with infertility was the constant worry that something was going to go wrong while dealing with the worst nausea I'd ever experienced in my life. So I'll get to that in a minute. But I'd like to just take a second here to talk about how mentally and emotionally draining pregnancy is 
and how emotionally draining infertility is and how a lot of people don't understand that when you conceive after years or or whatever period of time of infertility that you deal with when you do conceive if you do conceive it's not oh i'm pregnant now and everything's great that's just not how it works because there is always always that possibility of losing your child it happened to me it's happened to a lot of people and it's not uncommon And it can happen even after infertility and conceiving. And it happens frequently. So this is kind of a note to anyone listening who hasn't gone through infertility and maybe doesn't realize that once someone dealing with infertility, if they do conceive, that infertility pain and anxiety follows you. It really does. So... And then I guess for anyone who has dealt with infertility and is now pregnant and has conceived and you're wondering why you're still feeling so anxious, it's normal. It's scary. It's a new experience and you don't know what's going to happen and it's intense. So yes, I dealt with that. I spent my entire pregnancy worried that something was going to go wrong and that in itself is extremely draining. Pregnancy is draining. That first trimester, you feel like you got hit by a truck every single day. You fall asleep and you didn't even know that you fell asleep. I can't tell you how many times that happened to me where I'd be sitting on the couch and next thing you know, I'd wake up and say, when did I fall asleep? I didn't even know I fell asleep because I was so tired. And then you add in morning sickness that not every woman deals with. But many of us do. And morning sickness comes in many forms. Most of the time, it's not just in the morning. It wasn't for me. It was all day, every day. I felt sick all the time. I was so hungry, but I couldn't eat anything because the smell of everything made me want to throw up. Every time that I smelled tortilla chips, which is one of my favorite snacks, I felt so sick. I I couldn't eat tortilla chips my entire pregnancy, and I couldn't eat scrambled eggs. And scrambled eggs are one of my favorite things to eat. Couldn't eat them. Not once. I made the mistake early in my pregnancy of being so hungry and craving buffalo wings that I had my husband order me 20 buffalo wings. Yes, 20 because I was so hungry and they sounded so good. Luckily, we lived right next to a takeout pizza place at the time, and they had really good wings there. So my husband, sure enough, sweet as could be, got me my 20 wings. I couldn't even eat one. I started to, and I got so nauseous, the thought of eating that one wing was nauseating. So that was a waste of money, and that was very disappointing, and it was a very strange experience. I Morning sickness, not something to joke around with. Now, some people deal with a more complicated and much more severe form of morning sickness called hyperemesis gravidarum. And this is not just, oh, it's a little more, you know, dramatic or a little bit worse than morning sickness. It is extremely severe. 
many women are vomiting 10 to 20 times a day. And it isn't just, you know, something you can control. And it isn't just, oh, it's just nausea. Oh, you'll be fine if you throw up. No, it's very intense. Most of the time, you don't feel any better after you throw up. You feel worse. And it can be just debilitating and horrible. But I assure you, anyone who is dealing with it, talk to your doctor, go to the emergency room, get medication, get IV fluids. It's awful. It sucks. But you can get some relief just make sure you see your doctor and there are things that they can do to help you. And it is common if you deal with hyperemesis gravidarum to lose weight while you're pregnant. And that can be very scary. But as your doctor will tell you, your baby or babies will take what they need from you because they're little thieves. That's how I like to look at it. They're little thieves. Then they take whatever they need from your body so that they can survive, which is hard on us, but you will survive it. So I did not deal with hyperemesis gravidarum, but I had pretty severe nausea. I couldn't work because remember, I'm a massage therapist and an esthetician. And I can't very well be massaging someone feeling super nauseous and have to say, Oh, excuse me, I'm going to go throw up now. (laughs) That doesn't work. Um, And it's such a physical job that there was just no physical way that I could massage someone while being as nauseous as I was. I couldn't even stand up straight. I laid on the couch or the floor or sat in front of the toilet waiting to throw up every day. Um, I woke up nauseous. I went to sleep nauseous. I woke up in the middle of the night nauseous. It was horrible. So I... I dealt with pretty severe nausea, but I was very lucky in not dealing with hyperemesis gravidarum. So that part is is good. I had a pretty uneventful pregnancy, you know, aside from the extreme nausea that prevented me from working. Everything was going pretty well. Ultrasounds were looking good. It was actually really neat because I got a lot of ultrasounds because I was high risk because of... um, being pregnant with multiples and everything I had gone through. So we got, oh gosh, we had weekly ultrasounds for the first nine weeks starting, I'm sorry, starting at I think five weeks. I think that was the first ultrasound. And then we had them weekly until not nine weeks, 10 weeks. Then I started getting them bi-weekly. Then it was monthly until it was bi-weekly again. Uh, Everything was great until 28 weeks. And then the, I mean, there's no nice way to word this. The, 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 we'll we'll, we'll put it this way. The poop hit the fan. (laughs) It was bad. Um, Everything kind of went crazy. I had my gestational diabetes test that week. Um, That turned out I did not have gestational diabetes, but I was borderline. I was iron deficient, so I was dealing with some anemia. And at our ultrasound checkup that week, they had determined that my baby A wasn't growing at the same rate as my baby B. So 
that was a little scary to hear. There was no real explanation as to why that was happening or what that meant other than that baby is growing more slowly, not putting on as much weight, not not developing as much. So we had to keep an eye on that. I had my baby shower that weekend at the end of that week. It was lovely. It was really fun. It was exciting. I still couldn't believe I was pregnant. And that was a Sunday. So let's see. I think... I'm sorry. No, that was the beginning of that week. I'm mixing things up. That was the day before I was 28 weeks. The week of 28 weeks after my baby shower is when everything went crazy. The following weekend, I was admitted to the hospital because I had a regular checkup with my OB. And at the appointment, they discovered I had protein in my urine and my blood pressure was a little bit high. She sent me down to labor and delivery checked me out. Long story short, after three days in the hospital, they diagnosed me with preeclampsia. Luckily, it was mild preeclampsia, which meant that I could go home. So what is preeclampsia? Preeclampsia is complicated. It is the basically when there are multiple things happening at the same time. A significant amount of protein in your urine, as well as blood pressure that is higher than a certain point. So the limit is usually over 140 over 90. If it's higher than that, that could mean other things. It doesn't necessarily mean preeclampsia, but if it comes with protein, a certain amount of protein in the urine, then usually that starts the diagnosing process. Mild preeclampsia is when there are no other features present. Severe preeclampsia is when other features are present that are showing that some of your organs are beginning to shut down, like your kidneys or your liver. Um, Usually with severe preeclampsia, you'll get admitted to the hospital, they'll keep an eye on it, and you might end up giving birth very quickly. With mild preeclampsia, such as my case, Usually, you're allowed to go home, but you have to limit your activity. Not bed rest, but what they call modified bed rest. So I was not allowed to do much. (laughs) I had to take it easy. I had to monitor my blood pressure every day, so I had to get a blood pressure monitor. I had to check it three times a day. Um, I had to get regular checkups every week. I was seeing my... OB. I was getting blood work. I was getting uh, non-stress tests for the babies. And I, I don't remember exactly how many appointments or what, but I also had to have iron infusions. I was at the hospital a lot <laughs> for those following few weeks. Lots of checkups, making sure things were okay with the babies. And then at 32 weeks and one day, I had an ultrasound checkup and the high-risk doctor um, came in and said, guess what? You're not going home today. You're getting admitted and you're going to be here until you give birth. 32 weeks, you know, while that's not severely premature, it's premature and, you know, it's not news you want to hear. So I was a little scared, but she told me at the time, we're going to push to get you to 36 weeks. So that's what I had in my mind that day, pushing for 36 weeks. Maybe, maybe we'll make it to 36 weeks.
So the doctor admitted me because she was diagnosing my baby A, who a few weeks earlier they had discovered wasn't growing at the right rate. She had diagnosed that baby with IUGR, which is intrauterine growth restriction. And essentially what that means is that the baby is not growing at the right rate. Their growing has slowed down or stopped. So I needed to be admitted for the remainder of my pregnancy. And we didn't know how long that was going to be. The goal was to get me to 36 weeks. Well, to make a very long story short, I did not make it to 36 weeks or 35 or 34 or 33. (laughs) I made it only a couple more days. And at 32 weeks and four days, they decided it was the safest thing to deliver my babies for their safety. Um, Because between the preeclampsia and the intrauterine growth restriction, it was too risky to let them stay in any longer. So that Friday... I woke up. Well, I shouldn't say I woke up because I hadn't really been sleeping because they had been monitoring my babies with non-stress tests around the clock. So I was hooked up to this machine. Sometimes they'd take it off for a couple of hours. The goal that night was they would monitor me for, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes, and then let me sleep. But that turned into six hours of monitoring for the, what, second or third day in a row and that morning my doctor came in and said hey let's have a baby or two (laughs) so I had an unplanned c-section I was not planning on having a c-section I didn't want to have a c-section unless it was absolutely necessary and lucky for me my OB was very respectful of that and she in fact didn't want me to have a c-section unless I needed to but because my baby a was not growing um at, well I, I think at that point she we didn't know it was a boy and girl we were going to be surprised so that's why I keep saying baby a um she was so small that it was too risky to have a vaginal birth um because she was so small and he baby b was bigger it it was just complicated. So off we went to have a C-section. That went well. The babies came out, heard her cry for the first time. I thought I was going to faint. It was amazing. And my husband got to announce, it's a girl. Or, well, what he actually said was, is that a girl? (laughs) Yes, it's a girl. Oh, it's a girl. And then when her brother came out, it's a boy. And for me, it was exciting because I had suspected all along that it was a boy and a girl. And I had suspected that baby A was a girl and baby B was a boy. And I was right. So that was pretty cool. That was pretty awesome. And then after the C-section, they wheeled me into the the room with my parents and my in-laws and my husband. And then very quickly the pain started. I started having contractions because what none of us realized was that they had hooked me up to a Pitocin drip, which I'll tell you right now is horrendous. And immediately following a C-section when you've just been cut open is even worse. To make matters even worse, they hadn't given me any pain medication. So I'm laying there with my uh, C-section 
you know, that had just been sewn up three minutes prior, Pitocin that's causing my uterus to contract every couple of minutes, and I'm screaming in agony, just in so much pain, and it took forever to get the doctor to sign off, and it wasn't my doctor, a different doctor was on call. So our nurse was amazing, but she had to get the orders from the doctor to give me pain medication. And I was just in there crying, and my mom and my mother-in-law were both stroking my hair, trying to keep me calm. I think that I scared my father-in-law. I think my dad had gone to the house to pick something up. I don't even remember. It was all so crazy. But boy, it was... It was rough. That was unpleasant and painful. Eventually, I got my pain medication. Hallelujah for Dilaudid. Um, And that really helped. That definitely took that horrible pain away. I got to go up to the NICU and see my babies for the first time. And it was amazing. It was tough because we knew that they were going to be in the NICU for a while. The... um, the estimate at the time I think was going to be anywhere between four and eight weeks because they were, you know, almost eight weeks premature. And that's hard to hear. I knew I was going to be in the hospital for a few days because I had had a C-section. And so they wheeled me back up to my room, got comfortable. And then the lactation consultant came in gave me a very, very quick overview of how to use the pump, but nothing else about breastfeeding or anything. So I was, I went in blind, I guess you could say. I had no idea, nothing about breastfeeding, nothing about lactation. I hadn't had a chance to take any breastfeeding courses because babies came so unexpectedly so unexpectedly and I was extraordinarily unprepared uh, and had no idea what to expect and that particular lactation consultant really didn't give me any guidance so I had no idea what was going on which led to months and months and months of complications with breastfeeding and pumping and formula feeding which brings me to the end of this episode. And if you tune into my next episode, I'll talk about my postpartum adventure and breastfeeding and formula feeding and all the feeding that we went through and everything that I experienced in my postpartum journey.